You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode wherever in the world you might be. It's great to have your company. My name's David Frizzell, and today we're going to talk about people, a very specific type of person. There's no use beating around the bush. Some people are dicks. They do terrible things to make themselves feel superior and to make others feel terrible, to put them in their place. They're rude, selfish, and they're mean. And the worst part is some of them don't even know it. The scariest part What if I'm a dick? What about you? Can you be so sure that people don't think that you're a dick? My guest in this episode of the podcast is Darren Fleming, and he can help you work it out. Darren has written a book simply called Don't Be a Dick. Not only does he describe the type of behavior that puts you into that category, he also gives us some really simple, watertight guidelines that we can all follow to ensure that we don't act like a dick. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Darren Fleming. Darren Fleming, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on, Darren, and I've got to say, you will force me to do something that I've never had to do on my podcast before, and that is tick the expletive language box when I upload this to iTunes, because your book has a dirty four-letter swear word in it. It does. It does. I'll let you tell the uh, the good listeners what it is. Well, let, let's just, we, we're not going to try and hide from it. I'm not going to try and use euphemisms today, tonight. Let's just go with what the title of the book is, Don't Be a Dick, Creating Connections That Make Influence Happen. I really liked it. I sent you an email today. I did. I read your book in two bus trips. It's that kind of book. It's written in a really punchy way. It's engaging. And that concept of just don't be a dick. There's so many different bits of advice we get about life and and how to influence and create relationships, but you're piece of advice all boils down to don't be a dick. And if you have to, if you can only think of that as a male point of view, you've thrown in don't be a cow as well, if if you have to get gender specific <laughs> about these things. But I don't know that you do when you're using words like dick. Look, it's it's a great book, Darren. I love the concept. And I I want to ask you a number of questions about it. What we're going to get to listeners, uh, Darren's top five tips for not being a dick, but we're going to obviously add some context and build up to that because there's a really nice story to this. And you actually don't get to your story about this until quite late in your book, about three quarters of the way through. And it came at a really good time for me when I was reading and I was absolutely enthralled by your advice. You'd sold me on your wisdom. I hadn't wondered yet about you. I was thinking, okay, I'm just buying what this guy's saying. And it was only when I started wondering about you, I turned the page and there is this fabulous story about you. For the first time in the book, you talk directly about yourself. 
you told us the story of your 43rd birthday. And as a guy who was exactly 43 with three young kids, it almost brought a tear to my eye. Darren, can you tell us about your 43rd birthday and, and then we'll, we'll run on from there and, and how you ended up to where you are today? Yes, yeah, certainly. The story actually is about a week before my 43rd birthday and um, I'm divorced. Uh, I was single at the time and I had my two beautiful young girls over staying with me for their week with me. And at the time, I think they were 10 and it would have been 12. And we'd be sitting on the couch watching a bit of TV, got to 9.30. Okay, girls, time for bed. And then, no, I want to call mum. And I said, well, no, I told you half an hour ago, we're going to bed at 9.30, so off to bed. And the big fight erupted. I want to call mum. Mum gave us a phone. We can use it when we want. Her rules apply here. And, oh, we've all been in the household when fights happen. And I pushed the foot down. No, you're not going to bed. And they went off. uh, Sorry, you're not calling mum. You're going off to bed. And they went off to bed. And so did I. And... Little did I know, they crept out, grabbed their phones and called their mum, went off to school the following day, and then we tried to have a conversation about it that night, and it just blew up into another big fight. I put my foot down, said, this is what it is. They jumped on the phone, called their mum. Their mum came over and picked the kids up, took them back, and uh, well, that was about 15 months ago, and uh, kids pretty much haven't wanted to see me since. Oh, And uh, Yeah, it's pretty hard. And so fast forward the week to my 43rd birthday and, hey, I want to see my kids, what's going on? And they said, they'll see you for half an hour down at the shopping centre. So in my world, I'd been put into that deadbeat dad who can see his kids for half an hour. Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, In a public place. In a public place. So people are around, you can be supervised, and that's the world I was in. And I go, shit, what's going on here? So I, you know, what do you do? You know, I love my kids do anything for my kids. And the advice was, oh, well, Darren, you've avoided lawyers so far. You're just going to have to go down the the court path. You know, it might cost you 10 grand to drop it. You know, you'll get to see your kids. And I was sitting there going, well, you know, I love my kids. I can drop that. I'd rather not spend 10 grand, but, you know, I want to see my kids. And that was all the advice I was getting. Then someone put me in touch with the most amazing person on the face of the planet. Uh, Lorna Patton's her name. And... She thankfully held up a big shiny mirror to me, in essence. She said, Darren, you've created this. Why did you create this? I did not create this. The kids doing it, the ex-wife's in their ears, and they're hating me. She goes, no, Darren, you created this. Wow. You have created everything in your life. She said, well, I disagree. No, because I wouldn't create a situation that's caused this. And she said, well, you may not have wanted to, but you can say other people created the situation for you and spend the rest of your life as a victim, or you can say, okay, I created it. Must have been some pretty dumb decisions, but that puts you in a position of control. What can I change yeah. so I can change the outcome? Instead of who can I blame? Yeah, yeah. So what was the journey like? Well, that's a, that's a bold, high-quality coach who tells you that, what, in, in your first session? Yeah. Wow. And I worked with her for 12 months and I reckon she worked out in the first 30 seconds what it was, but she was gentle enough to go through the full hour before she told me. So Darren, were you a dick? On that night, I don't think so. Yeah. Because you were doing what we all know we should do as parents, which is hard sometimes and follow through on our word. I find that enormously difficult, 
if I say, hey, we're going to bed in half an hour and half an hour rolls around and then they decide they want to call their mum, you see that as, hey, just trying to put off what we said we're going to do. You're trying to extend bedtime. It's hard for me to do this, but I'm going to have to do what I said I would do. Otherwise, I'm setting myself up for failure. I'm teaching my kids that just get what you want by being a bit manipulative. So you think you're doing the right thing in that in that moment, being a good dad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't think in that situation I was, but leading into it, I may have been, and when I say leading into it, over the years. Um, yeah. I'm the dad, we're doing it my way, and yeah. just when there comes to decisions, not explaining what sits behind why dad makes this decision. The old, yeah. I'm dad, therefore it will be. Yeah. Doesn't Positional wash. power. Yeah. Yeah. Just because I've got the title of dad doesn't mean I have the position of power. And yeah. on that night, I probably could have had a bit of a, bit of a conversation around it. Yeah. But all that that would have done really is pushed the inevitable off a week or so. It's all of the stuff leading up to it over the years prior that they've just gone, nah, screw you, I'm out. I was about to ask, do you regret those actions of that night or do you see them as the bottoming out that had to happen for you to have a look in that bright, shiny mirror? Oh, definitely the latter. One of the hardest things in my life, but up there with the top three best things that's happened to me in my life. Because if those two beautiful children of mine didn't say, sorry, Dad, you're not worth hanging out with, I wouldn't have changed. I would have been that yeah. same person. So how are things going now? They're on the mend, let's put it that way. Yeah. You can't fix a relationship in a year. Yeah. Well, you can't fix a relationship in a year. And if you've got teenage girls, you'll know what um, the challenges you're up against, even in a great relationship. <laughs> so it's all, it's, all, it's all heading in the Not right. Not yet, I don't. It's all heading in the right direction. Mate, it's, it's a nice story for everything we just talked about. It's obviously a rough story. And as, as a, a guy in a similar position, although not separated, well, I live with my, my lovely wife and uh, I get to see my kids every day, which I'm thankful for every day. But I was able to relate so strongly with that story and it, uh, it was touching. And what's even more touching is the wisdom that you've been able to garner as a result of that experience. Obviously, the wisdom already existed. That was an incident and a series of events after the incident that allowed you to tap into that wisdom and, and articulate it so beautifully. Hey, you've got a really punchy way of writing as just as an aside. There's no wasted words in the way you write. It's very direct. And I've got to say that <laughs> that makes for a really nice change. Yeah, it's one of those books. I, a lot of my clients live in Sydney, Melbourne, and they're always on planes. So I thought, I want to write them a book that they can read on a flight. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's what, what I aim my books. All my books are written for that, yeah. Well, it's two trips from Graceville to Brisbane City. So uh, right. I don't know if you had that specifically in mind, that specific trip from Graceville to, to Brisbane on a bus when you wrote it, but that's how it's turned out. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. All right, now let's get to the let's get to the guts of what it's all about because you talk about at the beginning of your book trust is is what we're all looking for. We all want to be trusted. Relationships are built on trust and we can only influence people when they trust us. And I like where you went really quickly after that. You actually articulated something that I've been thinking about a whole bunch of things from a golf swing to 
uh, soft skills in the workplace, that moment where we try and codify what we do normally, where we try and learn rote by rote from an expert techniques to do something that should become clunky, that should be natural. You say when you do that, it becomes clunky and inauthentic and unnatural and can actually look like manipulation. Tell us about the type of books and advice that tell us they're going to try and help us become wonderful influencers. And tell us why, in your mind, those books and that set of advice misses the mark. Yeah, so in the book I write about, two authors had a major impact on me, Robert Caldini and his book, Psychology, The Influence of Persuasion. No, sorry, Persuasion, The Influence of Psychology. And in that book, he talks about a number of techniques that are great for influencing people, something like um, reciprocity. If I walk in, I give you something, you then feel as though you want to give me something in return. And then he talks about scarcity. And we see scarcity advertised on the TV all the time. You know, Harvey yeah. Norman says, you've got to come in this weekend, otherwise you'll have to wait till next weekend. And we all know- You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. And it's all, it's all crap. Yeah. The techniques work, but I think they work at a different level. First of all, they work at steps two, three, and four down the track, not at the first step. And some of the techniques are about having third-party endorsements are just way beyond what you and I as employees, employers, husbands, fathers can have at our disposal. So for you and me, these techniques are all good. We can spot them, but how can we use them? The other author, an author who I love his work, Robert Greene, he wrote the book, The 48 Laws of Power. He looks at influence from the arm, the aspect of power and manipulation. Uh, so 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, and his most recent book that came out, I think, last week, The, the Laws of Human Nature. These are all amazing, entertaining reads, and there's a, a wealth of techniques in there. But if you take his book, The Art of Seduction, if you followed every step, it'd take you three or four or five years to get what it is you want. That's yeah. once you've learned the steps. And that's well beyond what most people have at the timeline. So if you go off to all of the other books that talk about, you know, in the world of NLP, the mirroring and the pacing. Yeah. That is, if you're talking at a certain pace, I will talk at the same pace as you. Match that pace. Yeah, match it and then move it and move you and then we get rapport and all that sort of jazz. They all work, but the reality is you're an expert in what it is you do. Do you have the time to go off and become an expert in all these other techniques? And while you're learning these other techniques, what happens is your ability to just connect in the way that you normally do drops. Yeah, because you're mechanically trying to do these things that you've learned in a book, which are based on good psychology and things that work. But if you have to mechanically and artificially go into a room and do something for someone so that when you ask them to do something for you, that they're likely to do it back or match or mechanically match someone's pace as you're talking so that you can build a rapport with them. It's so inauthentic. And as you say in your book, it's clunky and unnatural. But the amazing thing is, and this is where it's a bit of a loop, it's actually the right thing to do. But what you're saying is give yourself a chance to do those things naturally because you want to connect with someone. So yeah, do something for someone, but not because you want them to do something back, but because you're a good person. And then one day when you do want something back, you might get it because you've been a good person, not because you've followed the steps in a book that you've read. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the idea of 
just don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a dick, and that's that's what it comes to. So you can learn all these techniques if you want, but you'll drown yourself in in steps. What should I be doing now? Like watching someone. I don't know if you're into golf, Darren. I love golf. And sometimes when I've been playing a lot of golf, which hasn't been lately because I've got three kids, I get <laughs> caught up. I have lessons. I stand on the range, you know, and I'm actually worse at golf at different points than I was when I was 13. And when I was 13, I stood there beside the golf ball and I swung the club back and I hit the ball. And I didn't think anything of it. I didn't know any techniques. I didn't know to keep my right elbow tucked in, my left wrist cocked, my left knee coming in at the top of my swing. I didn't think of any of those things. I was a 13-year-old kid who stood there and hit the ball. And that's kind of in parallel with what we're talking about here. All of those things those teachers have told me are true. But if you get it in your head, and if you've got your head full of all these tips, and you just simply forget to hit the ball like you did when you're 13, you can be a worse golfer 20 years later than you ever were. So I really love that parallel. And that's what you're getting at here. All these things are true. And you and you give a lot of good credibility and good credit to those authors for, for delving into the psychology of influence and saying that it's true, but that's just overcomplicating it. All right. I think I've made my point. I, I go on rant sometimes, Darren, and that was just a bit of a rant <laughs> I had there, partly fueled by golf. I got onto the role of golf and the way it links to your thing. So I'm going to cut that out now. Now tell me, why is creating connections so important? And are many of us naturally good at it? So we just said, don't follow the guides, just stand there and hit the ball like you did when you were 13, when it comes to creating connections. But are many of us good at standing there and hitting the ball? Or as human beings, are we not that great at making connections? I think it's our natural state. Now, when, right. when we're born... That's we good news. just connect with everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You don't have to learn it. It's about unlearning. Yeah. When you see your kids, when I used to take my kids to to school, to kindy, and the playground, etc., they just walk up and play with anyone. They just yes. instantly connect, make connections, and yes. they make connections without even trying. No one goes. No one tells the kids to. You know, we as parents say, "I'll oh, go play with those kids over there," and blow me down. They do. Yeah. But when we get to an age where we become adults, we don't. And then we think, oh, to connect, I have to do all these, these false things. It's our natural state. We connect genuinely with, we meet people in our lives and we just connect with them. Yeah. My beautiful partner, uh, when I met her, we just connected. And when you meet the person who becomes your best mate, you sort of just connect. Yeah. And that's within us. And I think that happens because we let our guard down. We'll let people in. Or we, we don't have a guard. As you're talking there, I have an 11-month-old daughter, and she's amazing at making connections. She just smiles at people and gives them a, a little bit of a goo and says some of the, the developing language she's got, and she's got people falling all over her. She has yeah. no guard, and she makes incredible connections. So there's at some point in our life where we unlearn those things. What are the things that happen to us in life, whether it's experiences that we have or just different stages as we move through school and uni and work and career, what are the things that might happen to us that stop us from being so naturally good at making connections and make us resort to step-by-step -step books? Yeah. Well, it's just the normal things that happen to us. You know, in the playground, someone doesn't want to play with you at lunch and you make the assumption, oh, it's because I've got my hair this way or oh, because I said that. 
It's because I'm bald. Because I'm bald. <laughs> yeah, it's just the normal thing, you know, in you walk up, you want to be someone's friend, and they say no. You know, the traditional boy meets girl, wants to date girl, doesn't know how to do it, walks up, exposes them vulnerably. Hey, would you like to go on a date? And they say no. You know, you get a bit crushed. So you withdraw into your shell. You go for a job interview. You really want it. You don't get it. These are the things that happen that cause us to go into our shell. When I was a kid, uh, I had a birth, wanted to have a birthday party and very few people turned up. I think, you know, two or three people turned up. And to this day, I don't host. Yeah, I don't host parties when I turned 40. A mate had to convince me to have a 40th and at his place because I wasn't going to host it at mine. No, because people won't turn up. It's incredible the things that we remember. And, And I imagine it's no one of those events. Someone won't play with me. No one came to my party. I asked her out and she said no or whatever it might be. But there's the compound effect of those little incidents all through our life that put that guard up and they give us that guard that my 11-month-old daughter doesn't have. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. So we've talked about it. We've crept up on it. Now let's get to the guts of this. The listeners are hanging to hear the things that make us a dick. And what are your top five <laughs> things for ensuring that I am not a dick? So I can look myself yeah. in the mirror and be sure that people don't see me as a dick. And I'm sure there are people who do see me as a dick. And I was going to tell you a funny story, actually, Darren. Some colleagues of mine saw your book on my desk today, and they all they got together and they decided, you're laughing knowingly, maybe they did it. They decided they were going to email you and tell you all the things that I do that make me a dick <laughs> at work and and that to get you to grill me on those things. It sounds like they haven't done it because you laughed then as I'll if it was the first you heard of it. Check your email. But um, they thought that was hilarious. And they listed to me all the things that I do that make me a dick, apparently. So I said to them, hey, if you put together an email, I'll read it to Darren and he can tell me whether that makes me a dick or not. But they haven't done it. So they haven't followed through with that threat. So uh, they miss out. We're not going to examine me today. So let's just talk generally, Darren. They snooze, they lose. They snozzed, so they've lost. So what makes people a dick? And what are your top five things for making sure we are not one of those? Yeah. Well, the the top things, the mantra about remembering to not be a dick, it's just simple. It's don't turn your back, don't cover your ears, don't close your heart. And that's, it's a mantra about letting people in. Don't turn your back. It is a physical thing, but it's also a metaphorical thing. I work for myself. And I'm always going to networking events. And the reason people hate networking events is they don't want to be that person standing on the side by themselves holding a warm glass of wine with no one to talk to because no one likes to be excluded. And it can be as simple as just, hey, you're on your own. It's against the rules. Come and stand with us. They may not say anything. It doesn't matter. But what happens is it makes that person feel secure. Okay, They feel safe. They may and have that's a something- primal thing, isn't it? Because if we were cut out of the clan when we were nomadic savages, that's death to us. Yep, absolutely. You're standing on the outside of the group. Saber-toothed tiger takes you away. What I have found is when I do that is they come into the group and they share something and it's so often you're the person I actually need to speak to, (laughs) which is just that person is there and they turn up, you invite them in. It's, It's opening up. And that's not just networking events. It's in the lunchroom at work. It's at the social drinks. It's the Friday night drinks. Even when I was single, 
I'd go to single events, talking to someone, you just don't let someone stand on the side by their own. What that does, if we look at the mechanics of it, that person is out on their own, you invite them in, instantly they connect with you because you have saved them at that very primal level. That creates a massive bond that you don't need to worry about the pacing and the, the matching with the body techniques. You have that connection straight away and it's super easy to do. Because you were an includer. Yeah, yeah. One of the clients I work with take this, don't turn your back to the nth degree. Multi-billion dollar company, 500 outlets, uh, wholesale outlets across the country. And the, the structure of this company is 100% inclusive and encouraging. The CEO cannot tell the state managers what to do. The state managers cannot tell the wholesale outlets what to do. They're the rules of the company, the way that was set up. Within each outlet, all of the information is made available to everybody. So the metaphorical person sweeping the warehouse floor knows what it costs to open the doors. They know the margin on every single product. The only information that's not shared are wages and HR figures, you know, there's gotta be some privacy. But what this does is it means every single person in the organization, in the, the branch, knows the margins, the profit levels, and if I slack off, what it's actually going to cost the business. And that's taking the metaphorical side of don't turn your back. It's about letting people in because we as humans, we cannot handle incomplete information. When I was a kid, I was fascinated by the Bermuda Triangle. How could these things, planes disappear? How do these ships disappear? And the modern day version of the MH370, Malaysian Airlines plane, it just disappeared. No one alive knows what happened to it. But if you go online, you can find all these conspiracy theories, everything from the Russians hijacked it to the Chinese hacked into it to suicidal pilot. Because people don't like a mystery. We don't like a mystery, so we try and solve it. So what happens in organisations? We we'll make stuff up. Yeah, we literally make stuff up. And, and what, uh, what happens in organisations is that an edict comes down from above and we just go, why? Well, we don't know why. Well, I reckon it's because, 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 because. And we use yeah. maybe what we see in the media, what happened last week, my own paranoia. I don't like you, so I reckon they're, I'm going to make you out to be the bad person. And this is what goes on in organisations. Yeah, past experiences. Yeah, yeah. And it's simply because the organisation turned their back on the staff. Yeah. The staff work here, let them know what's going on. All right. I like that. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. Number one way not to be a dick, don't turn your back. Be an includer. That can be at the organisational level. It can be at the person-to-person level. Even if it's just for a moment, that person standing alone at a party that person standing alone at a networking event or that person at work who's not included in the conversation that you and your colleagues are having. Be that person to actively include them. Because if you're that person who actively turns their back, you're a dick. Yeah, absolutely. Fabulous. What's number two? Well, don't turn your back. Don't cover your ears. This is about listening to people. We've all got a story to tell. And we're all excited by our own stories. And sometimes we want to get that out. and. It's about letting other people speak. I don't know about you, but over my career, I've worked with many narcissists. Now, this isn't the full end 
psychologically need medication to treat. But you go into work and you say, you know, I want to go on a trip to Europe. And then they turn around and say, I've been to Europe. I went here. I did this. 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 You'll love it. And you made one sentence. and They made it all about themselves. Yep. Yep. We all know people like that. How badly do you want to go back and speak to those people out of 10? I give it a one or a two score out of 10. You want to talk to those people. We all know those people who, when you mention something, it's just like, you've just got to get them started. And then they're off on their own story. And it's quite amazing. You're thinking, Hey, I just started telling you about something that's happening to me right now. And you picked up that thread and now you're telling me about your next door neighbor's babysitter's friend who did something similar because it's more relevant to you than what I've got to say. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I really related to that part of your book. Yeah. And they do it under the misguided feeling that they're connection. creating a connection. Mm. But you can't create a connection when you smother someone, when you crush them. It's the same yeah. reason prisoners don't connect with the guards because they're, they're smothered by them. Yeah. You create a connection by letting that person grow and you, by letting them share. And when someone comes in and says, I want to go to Europe, you go, awesome. What countries are you going to go to? Have you thought of going here? Tell me your plans. Tell me your plans. And you know what they do? They go, blah, they tell you everything. And then they think you are an amazing person. Yes, because you were interested. Were interested in me, little old me. Yeah, and, great. And when you do that, People can share their stories and you connect. You don't need to pace them. Yeah. The other thing is we need to understand that the Gen Ys and Gen Zs have spent their whole life telling the world about them. Now, YouTube has got 1.3 billion active users on it. Twitter, 330 million active users. Uh, The world of blogs there's approximately, no, no one's got exact figures on these because they change all the time, 152 million blog sites. And there's approximately 50 million new posts a month. Wow. We all walk around with a TV broadcasting station, a radio broadcasting station through podcasts, and a newspaper through blogs and Twitter in our pocket. And we are used to telling the world what it is that we think. Some of it's valid, some of it's thought through, most of it's not. But whether it's thought through or not, what happens, that individual gets to work and you, the boss, say, no, you can't have a say. I'm, having a de- I'm making a decision. I'm saying what it is. And the same way my kids said, stuff you, that's what workers do as well. You've lost them. Yeah, you lost them. Now, they might say stuff you and leave, but they'll probably say stuff you and stay. <laughs> Worse. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> so let people share their message. The challenge for leadership, the challenge for leadership is to ensure that the staff know when to have their say in the right forum and for them to understand that they don't get the final say. They don't get the final decision. They might have the final word, but they don't get to make the decision. You've put the capital up, you're in the position to make these decisions, that's your job. But you've given them a chance to have their say and you've engaged with them in an authentic way. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So don't turn your back. Don't cover your ears. Open ears. Actually listen to what people around you are saying. Don't be that person that dives in at the hint of a theme of a story and and overbears the conversation with your version of events. And what is number three, Darren? Don't close your heart. Let people in to you. Brene Brown, she talks about the art of being vulnerable. 
the, the strength that's in there about bravery. And she's not the feel the fear and do it anyway. She's not the feel the fear and do it anyway sort of bravery speaker. She's about the I've got a weakness, be vulnerable sort of bravery. When we see someone share their vulnerability, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, we look at that and go, man, that's so strong. I could never be that brave. Yeah. And there's an irony in that. That shows isn't there? real strength. They're, they're massive irony. And the other one is you had your friend today say to you that they were going to write me an email list of all the things that, that you did wrong uh, that, that make you a dick. The thing is, how many of them would be willing to offer you a compliment on something you do well? Those guys, 100%. They do it every day. Well, that's good. You're, you're, you're lucky you work with people like that. Yeah. But what happens is the great mate put down. You know, you, you, one of your mates gets a new yeah. girlfriend. My mate, she's well above your league. You, she won't hang yeah. around yeah. long. You get on well with a guide dog. Ha, 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 ha. I'm better at golf than you are, whatever the case is. Yeah. It's the great mate put down. It's about building yourself up. It's rankism. Yeah. If I can be better than you, I feel safe. Yeah. The opposite of that is can you build somebody up? Can you just without fear or favor or wanting anything in return to say, mate, you're an awesome person. You are, I love the way that you do blah. I'm impressed by the way that you can hang out with your kids on the weekend or whatever it happens to be. Build up the people around you. Yeah, if that causes a bit of a tin twinge, oh, I'd never say that, I'd never say that. What is it within you that turns around and goes, well, I can't build somebody up? Yeah, that's a red flag. I think that's a fantastic skill. It's nice. It's really great for you to call that out explicitly. And that is one of the hallmarks of a wonderful culture, whether it's a workplace culture or a camaraderie between a group of friends or wherever it might be. That's the difference, isn't it? between something that's negative and it always just hanging on that negative humor, which is actually hurting someone somewhere on some level, as opposed to that freewheeling compliment giving type of culture that, yeah. that I'm lucky enough to have been part of in, in many parts of my life, actually. Yeah. The, um, when you look at, you know, you play practical jokes in the workplace, you know, it's always fun to have a laugh at someone's expense. But when you look at it, that's bullying. Mm. And, oh, yeah, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Yeah, but you don't know what pain that person is carrying to the situation where you then, just a joke, you don't know what's sitting below the surface. And just because they're not showing you that it's hurt doesn't mean that it hasn't. And chances are that if it's insulting on some level, it's hurt on some level. And chances are you're never going to see that. That person is never going to make that obvious to you. That's a nice one. Don't turn your back. Don't cover your eyes. Don't close your heart. Build up the people around you. Is there one more? One more to make five. The fault finder. Yep. The fault finder. It's so easy. Don't be a fault finder. It is so, and I, I was huge on this one. And, you know, we all slip back into them. It should be this way. It should be that way. Ah, uh, just 5% better. Well, you know, it is the way that it is. If you want to make it better, you sort it out. You know, I think in a lot of organizational cultures, Darren, it's actually a bit of an, a cultural habit that when anyone is presenting a piece of work or, or showing an idea or showcasing something new, the people in the meeting feel as though their only their default way of adding value is to find faults, even if yeah. it's not something that's wrong. But hey, you could have done this differently. It might even not even be better. They just say, hey, this could have been different. It's like, yeah, well, that could have been different, but we ended could up doing been. it this way, and hey, it works. But 
It's almost a desperation to be relevant in the conversation and feel as though you're making a contribution. But geez, it's an easy, lazy way to make a contribution just by finding a fault. Yeah, it is. And it, and you're right. It is about relevance. If I can tear you down a little bit, it shows that I'm good and, and it addresses my insecurities. And which I've is why, yeah, and which is why, you know, when my, we started the conversation here, when my two beautiful daughters turned around and said, no, dad, don't want to see you. And uh, I had that big shiny mirror held up in front of me and she said, no, Darren, you've caused all of this shit. Well, that's why I, I realized that that was one of the greatest things that could happen to me because it pointed out to me all of these things that I was doing and uh, is why it was holding me back in certain areas of life. Darren Fleming, that is a fabulous place to end our conversation. I've really enjoyed our chat. I love your story, love your book. And those five that you've left us with are really tangible and very helpful for us. Thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru podcast. Thank you very much. It has been a pleasure. And that was Darren Fleming. I really enjoyed our chat. How about that first part of our conversation where Darren shared the story of his own awakening, divorced, alone, with two children who didn't want to see him. Powerful story, even better response. Darren used it as a moment of awakening. He didn't become all blamey and victim. He looked in the mirror and he took ownership of the things he'd done that created the situation. And I really like his five rules to ensure that we don't act like a dick. Number one, be an includer. Number two, actually listen to what people have to say. Number three, open your heart. Number four, build up people around you. And number five, don't be a fault finder. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Darren on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.